my dear listeners, and welcome to Counter Melody. It is I, your host, Daniel Gundlach. And as always, I'm committed to bringing you the voices of beloved singers, often focusing on unexpected facets of their artistry. You will also be hearing less celebrated but equally treasurable artists who deserve our attention and respect. I'm honored to have you join me on this ongoing mutual journey of discovery. And now, without any further ado, let's get down to today's business. Great singers and great singing. Welcome. I have a rare and extraordinary singer to present to you all today. American bass Yi Kui Si, accompanied by his wife Nancy Li Si, in a live performance from Taipei in August 1957. That was the Chinese art song separated by the Yangtze River. Yi Kui Si is acknowledged as the first Chinese singer to have an international career in classical music and opera. His path was, of necessity, a rather circuitous one, and I'm looking forward to presenting this artist to you, whose career extended over more than 40 years, with an ever-deepening artistry. Yikwe Si was born on the 29th of April, 1915, just south of Shanghai. He was the youngest of two sons. Si's father was a stonemason and was unusually wealthy due to his construction business. 
Si, of course, would have been expected to follow in his father's line of business, but his aspirations lay elsewhere. Having seen Al Jolson on the silver screen, he was inspired to become a performer himself. At 17, he was enrolled at Shanghai's National Conservatory, where he studied first violin, then voice. Si's first voice teacher at the Shanghai Conservatory was the Russian bass, Vladimir Shushlin. Shushlin had relocated to China after fleeing the Russian Revolution. I was surprised and delighted to find this example of Shushlin's own singing. Here he is singing the Rachmaninoff song, The Little Island. I am unsure of either the provenance of this recording or in what year it was made. But I do think that, given the prominence that the Russian repertoire was to assume in Yi Kuei-si's career, it's highly significant that his first voice teacher was indeed a Russian bass. Following his graduation, C began appearing in oratorio and opera. In 1939, at the age of only 24, he cut his first record. Tellingly, it was of the Russian folk song, Song of the Volga Boatmen, which he would sing over the course of his entire career. When C performs this, either live or on recording, the effect is thus. One hears, as if from a distance, the approach of the boatman as C sings the opening phrases completely sotto voce. Then, gradually, the boatman appears in person, the voice peeling forth, and once again recedes into the distance. Oh, oh, oh. 
according to an interview that I found with C's granddaughter. C's father insisted that both of his sons marry girls from the village from which he himself had come. C obeyed his father and married the woman who had been chosen for him, though they didn't have very much in common. C made sure that she learned how to read, which was not at all common for women of her station at that point in time. There was a conflict, however. While studying at the conservatory, C met a young woman, a pianist, who was a fellow classmate, with whom he formed a very strong musical and, consequently, romantic bond. She, of course, would eventually become his second wife, and she was known by the name Nancy Lee C. We heard her in the opening number, accompanying her husband. Meanwhile, before he and Nancy got together, he fathered three children with his first wife. During the years following the Japanese invasion, however, he and his wife were separated. He spent his time in Shanghai while she remained in the countryside. As the war finally ended, he announced that he was going to be joining Nancy Lee, the pianist, in the United States. And in 1947, he departed China, not to return for more than 25 years. Once he arrived in the United States, he began studying with the Ukrainian base Alexander Kipnis. For those of you who don't yet know the extraordinary voice and artistry of Alexander Kipnis, let me just play a short excerpt from Zarastro's aria, O Isis und Osiris, from Mozart's Die Zauberflöte. most emphatically carried on the tradition established by Alexander Kipnis. In 1947, Yi Kui Si made his New York debut in a town hall recital and caused quite a sensation. He was an immediate success and very soon began singing with the most prestigious orchestras and in the most significant venues. Yet the doors of the opera houses remained resolutely closed to him. 
there was one exception. He made his debut with San Francisco Opera in 1950, singing The King in Aida. In doing so, he became the first Chinese singer to sing a major role with a U.S. American opera company. Though, once past his initial skepticism, Gaetano Merola, who led the San Francisco Opera, was very impressed with Yi Kui-si. I have to say that the bass was never given anything larger than what I would consider, at best, secondary roles. The Jailer in Tosca, the Fifth Jew in Zalome, bit parts in Andrea Chenier, certainly not appropriate repertoire for someone of C's talents. He should have been singing Filippo in Don Carlo, Padre Guardiano, any of the great bass roles in either Wagner or Verdi, or Russian opera, for that matter. But he would occasionally be trotted out for radio broadcasts and the like. Here's an excerpt from a 1950 radio broadcast in which Yi Kui-si sings Filippo's aria Ella Jamai Mamo from Don Carlo. The conductor here is Caetano Merola himself. This is the kind of repertoire that Yi Kui-si should have been singing all over the world. Bello de 
Doors of the opera houses may have remained closed to Yi Kui but he found a way in through, as it were, the back door, and via a venue that afforded him a great deal of national exposure. In January 1956, the so-called NBC Opera broadcast the Magic Flute in English. Other stars in the making that were also in the cast were Leontine Price as Pamina and John Reardon as Papageno. And by the way, please stay tuned because John Reardon is scheduled to be featured in a counter-melody episode in the next month or so. Here is an excerpt from the other Zarastro aria, In diesen Heilgen Hallen, sung in English, heard in rather remote sound on that telecast from January 1956. Oh, light of wisdom, do not blind our eyes that mind may love and heart may civilize.
In the end, Zarastro was probably Yikwesi's most celebrated operatic role. I have produced a bonus episode featuring Yikwesi in further selections that I didn't have time for on the main episode, but which I think everyone should still hear. These include several other operatic parts, as well as some other commercial recordings and further excerpts from the two live recitals that we are about to hear more of. For those who are interested in supporting the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where you can pledge any amount from $2 on up and gain access to all of the bonus episodes that I have thus far posted. The Yikwe C bonus episode is going to be number 21. I think that's a high score in some card game or other. Anyway, check it out. Thanks a lot. And now, back to our magisterial subject. One of the things that I most love about Yikwesi is that he was the complete technical master of his voice. From a concert he gave in Den Haag in October 1961, here is an excerpt of his performance of the aria Si Treceppi from Handel's Berenice.
by the way, I will just mention that it was Alexander Kipnis's recording of this aria, which was my introduction to his extraordinary voice and artistry when I was, oh, let's say, probably about 12 years old. Since then, he's always been my favorite bass voice, and it was my happy discovery of the voice of Yi Kui Si that made me aware of another bass worthy of standing alongside Alexander Kipnis. From that same concert in Den Haag, I have three further examples. The first song we hear is Schubert's Anschwager Kronos, to a text by Goethe. Father Time is here depicted as a coachman racing through the different stages of life. The poet is a passenger in Father Time's coach, and he addresses the coachman as a familiar as they journey over the hills and dales of life with an eye toward rest and refreshment at a distant inn. By the way, the excellent pianist that one hears here is George van Renesse. same concert, an excerpt from Francis Poulenc's Chanson Gaillarde, Ribbled Songs. This song is called La Belle Jeunesse, and it's advice to a young rake, telling him, don't be too quick to get married. There are many young women out there who would gladly take a roll in the hay with you without having to concern themselves with getting married. <laughs> 
You can hear in this example that C's French has a rather pronounced accent. I don't sense this in his performances of, say, German, or not that I'm really fit to judge, but Russian as well. But it is worth noting that one of Yikwe C's most high-profile recordings was with Charles Munch in the early 1950s when he recorded the role of Père Laurence in Berlioz's Romeo et Juliette. I also have an excerpt from that on the bonus episode. But now let's hear some examples of Yikwe singing German leader. We are lucky to have from two different live recitals, examples of Yi Kwe-si singing the songs of Hugo Wolf. I think he was particularly well-suited to this composer. Here's a more light-hearted example among Wolf's lieder. This is the Eichendorf Lied, Der Musikant. It's an itinerant musician saying, I love my life wandering from town to town. I'm lucky that many girls are attracted to me, including you. He's speaking to a young girl, and he says, May God provide you with a home and a husband. But if I were to be that husband, the songs in me would dry up. This is the final song today from the live recital in Den Haag. There will be two more Hugo Wolf songs from a later recital at the end of the episode.
Yi Kui Si sang with symphony orchestras all around the world with the most distinguished conductors, Herbert von Karajan, Eugene Ormandy, Bernard Heitink, Christoph von Dochnanyi, and many others. In 1965, he made a series of recordings with the pianist Brooks Smith for the small Dutch label Iramak. These recordings have become collector's items. They form the bulk of his commercial recorded legacy and represent the very finest singing of art songs imaginable. One of those recordings was of Schumann's Dichterliebe. I'd love to present the entire cycle to you, but I'm going to take the predictable route and play the song Ich grolle nicht in this performance, as with so many of his other performances of art song. C chooses very deliberate tempi that allow him the chance to truly articulate the words and to use a wide range of dynamic effects and text painting. From that same series of sessions, C. and Smith made an extraordinary recording of the Brahms Vier Ernste Gesänge. I think his recording of O Tod wie Bitter bist du has simply never been better done. It may have been matched, but in my opinion, it's never been surpassed. Death is addressed as a bitter enemy when one is young and in the prime of life, but when one is old and besieged by illness and weakness, it is seen as a blessed friend. Oh, oh. 
Earlier, we heard Yi Kuei-si's live performance of Chinese art song. The Russian composer Alexander Cherepnin, who had emigrated to China in the 1930s, was inspired by Yi Kuei-si's artistry to write a series of Chinese songs for him, many of which were arrangements of Chinese folk songs. On the bonus episode, I'm going to offer you several more examples. Today, I have time for a delicious one called Buffalo Boy. On Yellow Grass Hill, a buffalo herds boy sits playing the flute. A noble lady approaches him and asks, Where may I quench my thirst? And the buffalo boy takes her request literally and tells her that if she goes straight ahead, she'll find a wonderful inn where she can find delicious wine. Light 
I've talked to you earlier about the Russian soul that Yikwesi possessed. He had, perhaps through Kipnis, such a profound access to that kind of sensibility. And we hear that in the next few examples that I'm going to play for you. First, on the flip side of that Cherepnin recording of Chinese songs, which, by the way, won the coveted Edison Award in 1966. Yikwesi and Brooks Smith perform the Sunless Song Cycle by Modest Mussorgsky. The poet of these songs, as in his more famous cycle, Songs and Dances of Death, is Arseny Golenishchov Kotutsov. I'm going to play for you the third song. The translation is The Idol Festival Day is Ended. Humans are once again asleep and all is quiet, but sleep escapes from my eyes. I breathe in the poison of spring's dreams, and I feel that surging of longing, of hope. But these are only ghosts. There's only one shadow that is capable of evoking a tear in me a true friend to whom I give my soul in that silent tear. Oh, 
I had mentioned the Songs and Dances of Death as well. I do believe that Equacy and Brooks Smith's recording is one of the landmarks in the recorded history of this song cycle. The song Lullaby receives what I think is the most terrifying performance of this song that I have ever heard. A mother sits awake at night with her feverish child, and suddenly a knock comes on the door, and it is death offering to rock the child to sleep. Thank you. 
ухо в двери осторожно смерть седобойная стук вздрогнула мать поменулась тревожно
In the late 1960s, Yikwesi's friend and colleague, the pianist Victor Babin, suggested that C apply to a teaching position at the Cleveland Institute of Music. C did so, and he was consequently hired by the Cleveland Institute. He and Nancy moved from Connecticut to Cleveland, where they both taught for a number of years from a concert that he and Victor Babin gave together in Cleveland in 1971. Here is Yi Kwe Si performing Sergei Rachmaninoff's The Harvest of Sorrow. In the early 70s, C accepted a teaching position at the Eastman School of Music in Rochester, New York, 
where he taught from 1971 through 1980, the year that he retired. Many of his students would go on to distinguished careers. Among them was the bass Peter Strummer, who is a Facebook friend of mine. I saw that Peter had studied with Yikwe and I asked him about C. He related in particular to me a fond memory that he had of going to Connecticut with C to visit his old teacher Alexander Kipnis at his home there. C had remained close to Kipnis over the years, and he and Nancy had even named their son after him. We are lucky to have, via YouTube, a live recital that Yikwesi gave at Eastman when he was already in his late 60s. I'm going to play you a few more examples of Yikwesi singing first Rachmaninoff's song Love's Flame, Opus 14, number 10. The pianist here is Robert Freeman. Yikwesi sets to rest forever the stereotype that Asian artists are withholding and reserved and only concerned with technical prowess and perfection. The soul that one hears coursing through this music and throughout all of his extant recorded legacy is palpable. From that same recital, I have two further examples of Yikwesi performing Hugo Wolf. Sadly, he did not make any commercial recordings of Hugo Wolf or of Franz Schubert, and it's a pity because I think he's, again, due to the care that he gives the words and his ability to sing such a creamy, luscious legato and with a wide, wide dynamic palette, 
both of those composers find in him a near-ideal interpreter. I have two further Hugo Wolf examples for you. First, from the Mürke Lieder, here is the song Fussreise. The poet delights in a brisk walk through the woods and over the hills and says that if only God would grant it, might his whole life be such a beautiful excursion. The next song is from Hugo Wolf's Italienisches Liederbuch. It also has a somewhat um, religious setting, but quite different than the Fussreise. In this poem, a rakish man says to his friend, let's put on monk's habits and go knocking on doors and asking for alms. Then he impersonates the woman of the house who says to him, Oh, dear father, please come back later. One of my daughters is lying ill in bed. And he says, Oh, then she really needs to give her confession. I suggest you shut all the doors and windows and don't disturb us. In the Me Too era, I think we think about this sort of situation in a completely different way. This is Geselle, wollen wir uns in Hutten kühlen? Thank you. 
Yi Kuei and Nancy Li Si were unable to return to China for more than three decades. Yi Kuei Si's granddaughter recalls being told in school by a teacher that her grandfather was an American spy. Only after relations thawed between the United States and China following Nixon's visit there in 1972 was Yi Kui Si even able to contact his family, and only then did his granddaughter become aware of his standing in the international music world. Finally, in 1979, Yi Kui and Nancy Lee Si were among the first naturalized American artists to go over to China to teach in master classes at the Shanghai Conservatory. Following their return, they founded a scholarship at the Eastman School to help underwrite the studies of gifted Chinese music students. Alongside the two sets of Chinese songs that Alexander Cherepnin composed, and which Si often sang on his recitals, he also included both arrangements of Chinese folk songs and original Chinese art songs. From his very first recording in 1950, I present to you the song How Can I Not Think of Her by composer Wan Ren Zhao with text by Banong Liu. This work forms such a central part of the Chinese consciousness that many people are not aware that it is actually an art song and not a folk song. In that way, it sounds similar to Schubert's Der Lindenbaum, In the Sky Floating Clouds, On the Earth a gentle breeze, the cool air blowing through my hair. How can I not think of her? Bare trees shivering in the wind, wildfire aflame in the evening glow, the sun coloring the western sky. How could I not think of her? <laughs> Oh, 
Just this past week in the New York Times, there was an article entitled Asians are represented in classical music, but are they seen? It's a very thought-provoking article that deserves to be read by everyone who cares about music and about social justice. It's true that Asian artists are often to be found on today's classical music scene. But as the Times article points out, How many of them are, for instance, administrators or conductors, especially women? One can only imagine that Yi Kui Si, as the first Chinese singer represented on the world's great concert and opera stages, found himself face-to-face with this kind of prejudice over and over again. And in the decades of his absence from his native China, clearly he was a persona non grata, We've already seen how his operatic appearances were severely limited because of his race. He did sing at City Opera, and that needs to be acknowledged, including in the U.S. premiere of William Walton's Troilus and Cressida, but never at the Met, never at Chicago Lyric, and never at Covent Garden, to name only three of the largest companies in the world. We have so many tantalizing glimpses of what might have been, and yet I am also very grateful for what we do have. I didn't want the focus of this episode to be on questions of racial injustice. The voice and artistry of Yi Kui Si belong in the forefront of our consciousness. But we also must acknowledge what a difficult situation he and Nancy must have faced. Today is episode 99 of Counter Melody. As I round the bend toward a hundred episodes, I can think of no better artist to have presented to you than the great Yi Kui Si. Over the course of the nearly past two years producing these episodes, I have made three great discoveries. Artists who were known to me by name, 
but by voice, not at all. Muriel Smith, Lenora Lafayette, and Yikwesi. There's no question that these artists all faced severe prejudice and restrictions on their artistic expression because of the color of their skin. It's all that I can do to present these artists to you as full and complete musicians and singers and to celebrate them in the way that they so richly deserve. Following his tenure at Eastman, Yikwe and Nancy C. retired to San Francisco, where he died in 1994 at the age of 79. Nancy Lee died in October 2008 at the age of 93. To round off today's tribute to Yi Kui Si, I offer one final selection. I present to you an encore that he gave at the conclusion of that Eastman recital in 1978. Here he is, age 64, singing Schubert's Andi Musik with such eloquence and humility that one comes face to face yet again with the full extent of his artistry and humanity. My dear friends, keep the song in your hearts.
I'm Daniel Gundlach, and I'll see you next week for episode 100.